in Quebec and Switzerland has really devoted his life uh, to study the complex relationship between shamanism and molecular biology. So after a PhD in anthropology from Stanford University, uh, he spent several, several years living in uh, the Peruvian Amazona and living with the Achaninka tribe and trying to study the use of botanical resources to help fight against ecological uh, destruction. And his findings led him to write his first book uh, called The Cosmic Serpent, DNA and the Origin of Knowledge, that was written in 1995, in which he explores uh, the transmission of, botan of botanical knowledge through uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. And uh, he has worked the last 30 years to raise funds and advocate for indigenous Amazonian uh, initiatives. So please, a warm welcome for Jeremy Narby. Thank you for the warm welcome. I thought these microphones were formidable, but apparently they're not so formidable, and they put another one on me. Um, so, well, you know, it's wonderful to be here. I mean, imagine the uh, uh, Olympic Museum talking about hallucinogenic plant brews from the Amazon with a room full of doctors. Somebody had told me 25 years ago that this would happen, I would have said that they'd been <laughs> smoking too much. Well, um, uh, actually, my whole life has, professional life has been about um, uh, not only backing the initiatives of indigenous Amazonian people, but um, also um, trying to make their systems of knowledge understandable to the non-Amazonian world. Um, and so uh, I think anthropology is a, about translation, so I've always considered myself as a kind of a translator or uh, a go-between. And um, recently, the scientific community has um, recognized the therapeutic potential of ayahuasca, which is the... Uh, shamanic plant brew that indigenous people in Western Amazonia developed hundreds and perhaps even longer than that years ago. Um, well, administering this powerful hallucinogenic cocktail takes expertise and finesse, and indigenous Amazonian people have a deep experience in doing this. Whereas the, the science of ayahuasca is fairly recent. So um, this seemed like a job for a cultural translator. Um, and so what I will share with you is uh, the view that indigenous Amazonian people have things to contribute to the science of ayahuasca. Um, and, um, and so there it is. Um, yes, scientists can learn from rainforest Indians. And um, we can just start by considering the question of the different kinds of ayahuasca. Because indigenous Amazonian people have long recognized that there are different kinds of ayahuasca uh, vines. I just did a, a book with a, an indigenous Amazonian expert, Rafael Chanchari Pisuri, the book is called Plant Teachers in, in English, De Plantes Enseignantes in French. And uh, it's a dialogue between Raphael and myself, between indigenous knowledge and uh, science. And Raphael is very clear that there are different kinds of ayahuasca vines. They're easy to recognize. Uh, some have knots on their stems and others are smooth. They have different colors, different textures. Uh, the bark has different colors. The inner wood has different colors when you scrape it. These different kinds of vines have different effects. Um, but science insists that there's only one species of ayahuasca, which is Banisteriopsis capi. Well, Richard, Richard Evans Schultes, who, is, who was the foremost ethnobotanist in the 20th century, uh, wrote in the 1970s, 
that the indigenous view of the different varieties of ayahuasca uh, constituted an avenue for future research and an enigma. But in the years following uh, Schultes, uh, there was precious little research into this. And it was only in 2018 that uh, a team of international researchers called for a re-examination of the species assignation of the ayahuasca vine based on the uh, widely recognized uh, differences uh, that those who know the vine uh, see. So this is starting to happen. Just why it took so long to look into this enigma is itself a bit of a, an enigma. Uh, in my view, science has had a, a hard time taking indigenous people seriously. So there's a little bit of epistemological racism, but I, I don't want to rub it in. Or, But still, you know, if we're going to be here, let's uh, call a spade a spade. Um, I think a place to start, if we want to seriously understand ayahuasca, is to look into the different kinds, wor work with indigenous experts, and do genetic studies. In fact, the, the two ways of knowing can be combined uh, with intelligence and most probably to, to good effect. Um, then there's the case of the active ingredient of ayahuasca. Well, um, I'd like to salute Laurent Rivier, who's here, um, a Swiss chemist from Lausanne, and um, he's the man who um, asked the question seriously and had the tools to answer with his colleague Jan-Erik Lindgren. I think this is ayahuasca science began with their paper that was published in uh, uh, 1972, Ayahuasca, a South American hallucinogenic drink, um, in which they sampled uh, different uh, ayahuascas. And in uh, many of them, but not all, they found DMT. And DMT was a, a known and powerful hallucinogen. And so, well, this was interesting. Of course, it's interesting to know what the molecules are. Um, but this work was then taken by others. And it's, there was still a mystery there because DMT is orally inactive. So they found DMT in the brew. So you drink the brew, but normally it shouldn't work. It was known that uh, the DMT didn't come from the vine itself, but from an admixture plant, Psychotria viridis, or chacruna, from the leaves of the chacruna. Meanwhile, in the vine, there were harmala alkaloids, harmine, harmaline, tetrahydroharmine, that are also psychoactive, but were not present in big enough doses to explain the psychoactivity of the brew. But then what was formulated as a hypothesis in 1984 by uh, Dennis McKenna and colleagues was that these harmala alkaloids are MAO inhibitors. MAO, monoamine oxidase, is the enzyme in the stomach that blocks the DMT. The DMT is orally inactive because it is blocked by MAO but the harmala alkaloids block the enzymes that block the DMT. And so voila, um, ayahuasca is drinkable DMT. And it combines DMT with these substances that are just there simply to allow the DMT to get through the stomach intact and uh, get into the blood, go to the brain, and turn on the cinema. Um, well, the molecular fit was a little too perfect. Um, everybody bec became convinced that the mystery of ayahuasca was explained. And uh, so, um, so there it was. The only problem was that uh, the DMT was in the admixture plant and not in the vine itself. Um, the other problem also was that indigenous people have always said the main component of the brew is um, the vine. It's not the admixture plant. And it also ignored that the harmala alkaloids that the vine contain also have psychoactivity. Um, 
what's more, there were lengthy, detailed reports in the scientific literature since the 19th century of by uh, botanists and anthropologists who had um, consumed vine-only ayahuasca and who had had uh, visionary experiences. Um, Richard Spruce, uh, in the late 19th century, describes the making of vine-only ayahuasca in the Valpes uh, area in the Colombian Amazon and describes in some detail the visions that he had. Uh, Gerardo Reichel Dolmatov in the 1970s did the same. A uh, hundred years later, uh, after Spruce in the same area, described the same way of making vine-only ayahuasca in a cold water extract, and then a lengthy description of the visions that he had. Um, Wade Davis also did the same. So uh, subscribing to the DMT explains everything about ayahuasca uh, uh, hypothesis simply did away with uh, all of that uh, data. Well, uh, so how does one explain uh, that vine-only ayahuasca without the DMT is active? Harmine has psychoactivity. Harmaline also does, and so does tetrahydroharmine. So no doubt these alkaloids contribute to the psychoactivity of vine alone, but this has been understudied since the moment that the scientific community interested in this became convinced that DMT explained everything. Uh, the interactions of these alkaloids in the vine have not been studied. It's called the entourage effect, and it has become clear mainly through studies of cannabis. Uh, now we know people, you can actually get CBD in stores now, People know that in cannabis there are different cannabinoids and that uh, they influence one another. CBD and THC have a kind of a, a contrary relationship where what CBD does is modulate THC. So depending on the amount of CBD in the cannabis and that you consume, the effect of the THC on you will be uh, less if there is more CBD. So now there, if you want a strong... Uh, psychoactive uh, cannabis. Uh, they select for high THC and low CBD. Everybody knows with cannabis that there is this entourage effect. That is that uh, the different molecules cooperate and work together and that the, uh, oh, the final result is more effective than the individual substances taken in their pure form and separately. Um, well, this is something that hasn't really been studied yet uh, with the ayahuasca vine. Um, the ayahuasca vine is um, particularly interesting because there has been research in recent years that confirms that uh, these harmala alkaloids, and harmine in particular, um, have a a wide range of health-enhancing properties. So we're not even necessarily talking about having visions. Uh, harmine, we're talking about anti-inflammatory, analgesic, antimicrobial, uh, antioxidant, uh, antidepressive, um, possibly anti-Parkinsonian, uh, possibly anti-tumor. Um, it's simply good for the health, makes you stronger, makes you healthier. Um, so, uh, yes, this research confirms what indigenous Amazonians have long said. The basis of this therapeutic cocktail is the vine. Um, <clears throat> well, clearly there's been a bias in the Western understanding of ayahuasca, um, a bias in favor of the visionary psychoactivity. Uh, and now that uh, science has a better understanding of the harmala alkaloids, 
um, I think this is uh, in the process of being uh, reconsidered. Um, <clears throat> if you consult indigenous experts, which I think is uh, the, the way to go, not the only way to go, but it's necessary to uh, take what they say into consideration, they'll tell you that the, um, the DMT um, turns the lights up. It makes the visions more visible. The, the vine itself is visionary, but it's more subtle. The colors are, are darker. Um, and if you're a beginner, by turning the lights up, it makes the visions more easy to see. But frankly, if there's too much DMT, they would consider that as all the fireworks, as, as a kind of a distraction or uh, a side effect. Um, <clears throat> Well, there was a very interesting study conducted by uh, Hele Kasik and her colleagues uh, last year, and they sampled uh, 104 different kinds of ayahuascas in neo-shamanic centers in Europe and among indigenous practitioners in the Amazon. And they found that, on average, the neo-shamanic samples that were uh, for, let's just say, European and North American customers contained, on average, 54% more DMT than the indigenous samples. And so, um, and as Hele Kasik put it, this is ayahuasca that uh, emphasizes tripping over healing. Um, well, um, sorry, it's a little bit... Uh, there we go, thank you. Um, <clears throat> science likes to standardize things. And I'm not criticizing, it's understandable. You want to conduct research. Different people in different places run the experiment, and the object of study shouldn't vary. And so that's how you can... That's the method of science. So it's... Science isn't standardizing because scientists are stupid. That's, it's a part of their method. And The problem with ayahuasca is that there is no standard ayahuasca. There can be no standard ayahuasca. And, um, well, I think it's important to see. Uh, so th this is the question, what is ayahuasca, apart from a vine? What ayahuasca is for indigenous Amazonian people, apart from a vine. It is a, a brew that one develops from the vine. One can do cold water extracts with only the vine, but the vine itself is already a complex uh, cocktail of alkaloids and bioactive substances. But it also serves to understand other plants. And so other plants are added to ayahuasca also just to study them. Um, Jonathan Ott, who's an ethnobotanist, uh, studied the different admixture plants uh, used uh, around the Amazon basin um, in ayahuasca brews and uh, repertoried 97 different uh, plants that can be added to the brew, including tobacco, uh, coca, datura, uh, psychotria viridis chacruna, so that any given ayahuasca brew can contain, beyond the harmala alkaloids, uh, nicotine, scopolamine, cocaine, DMT. Uh, Jonathan Ott uh, calls ayahuasca a multi-purpose pharmacological vehicle. Um, this being the case, there can be no clear molecular definition of uh, ayahuasca. There is no fixed recipe, and that's the whole point. Um, it's like cocktail, a cocktail. Um, we'll look forward to having one later. Um, but a cocktail is a mix. If you just look in the dictionary, it'll say that. It'll say alcohol mixed with different fruit juices. So there is no standard cocktail. It's absurd. If you go to somebody's house and they say, we'll be serving some standard cocktails tonight, you know that they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so um, that is what ayahuasca is, at least from a, a point of view um, informed by the in knowledge, indigenous knowledge in the uh, Amazon. Um, 
what this means is that you, if you're going to be working with ayahuasca, if you're just a person and somebody says, well, there's this ayahuasca session and so forth, you really want to know uh, what's in it. Um, once again, I would uh, compare this to wine. Wine is fermented grape juice. So people say, I'll, I'll be serving some wine. Well, it's going to be fermented grape juice. It's the uh, amount of alcohol that's in there can vary. But it is not um, uh, grape juice with ethanol added to it. That would be an alcopop. Um, there is a difference between alcopop and uh, wine. Um, so if you going back to ayahuasca, uh, somebody says, uh, we'll be serving ayahuasca tonight. Would you like to come over? Well, what's in it? The, it, it has to be the first question. Um, uh, Hele Kasik and her colleagues in their sampling of ayahuasca, they had two European ayahuascas that contained no Amazonian plants and that uh, also contained uh, pharmaceutical antidepressants. You know, so ayahuasca. Um, I'll just put my glasses on. You know... I like, uh, I have a lot of respect for Swiss scientists, and um, Albert Hoffman was a, a wonderful uh, humanist and visionary and so forth. Um, and it's, it's always difficult. I, I don't like uh, criticizing colleagues and people who, who do good work, but, and here maybe the problem is also uh, the, the journalism. Um, so this was in the Tagesanzeiger at the end of sep September with hallucination against depression. Ayahuasca is a magician drink from the rainforest. A Zurich research team has uh, produced the extremely powerful drug in the laboratory and then tested it uh, successfully on healthy people and they are now uh, working on people who have depression. And then you have a photo of a, a shaman blowing some tobacco smoke on a person. So you think, okay, that's cool. They're testing ayahuasca in the lab in Zurich. Uh, wonderful. And then you, you read into it, and so here they are. Um, so what they've done is they say, oh, well, they've taken two um, molecules inside the ayahuasca, and they've isolated them. Uh, the uh, Milan Scheidegger is quoted as saying, it's um, uh, much easier, much better and easier to drink than ayahuasca from the Amazon because it doesn't have any of the bitter stuff from the plants. So what they've done is they've taken the liana ayahuasca, they've taken extracted harmine, so at least there's an Amazonian plant involved, taken just the harmine, not the harmaline, not the tetrahydroharmine, not the other bioactive molecules, just the harmine, and then they've taken DMT out of Mimosa hostilis, Jurema preta. It's at least an Amazonian plant, but it's not from the Western Amazon. It's not, for example, in Jonathan Ott's list of 97 traditionally used plants. And put this together, and they're calling it, well, actually, they call it pharmawaska. Um, okay, so then why does it say ayahuasca up here? Um, Okay, it's just a newspaper article. Um, but we're talking about important things here. Uh, if we were in Bordeaux talking about top red wine, you wouldn't dream of bringing Alcopop into the thing. Anyway. Um, yes. Well, meanwhile, science, uh, I'm a friend of science, I'm a fan of science, uh, I'm an anthropologist. Anthropology is not a science, but that's a whole other debate. Um, and it, it is true that in recent years, I think science has made some spectacular uh, inroads into understanding what actually goes on in uh, a human being, and in the human brain in particular, uh, when uh, somebody consumes uh, hallucinogenic molecules. And so uh, I guess you, you are aware of this uh, brain imagery research. I'll just go over it fairly quickly. What all the major hallucinogens do 
is bind to serotonin receptors on specific neurons that are involved in key areas in the brain where information is rooted. And by exciting these neurons, it disrupts their function. And so the information is not filtered like it usually is. And this allows areas of the brain that usually don't communicate with one another to do so. So oddly, by uh, stopping the activity in certain specific areas, what the hallucinogens do then is allow greater interconnectedness between different parts of uh, the brain. Um, well, uh, when it comes to ayahuasca, there have been few uh, brain imaging studies uh, for the moment. They have all involved DMT-containing ayahuasca, and they show relatively similar results to the other hallucinogens. DMT binds to the serotonin 2A receptors, just like LSD and psilocybin, of course, with different affinities and densities, but it's very similar pathways that can be uh, uh, detected. Um, Still, there are specific, if one takes the few brain imagery studies of DMT-containing ayahuasca, um, they show certain specificities, one of which is that ayahuasca stimulates the visual cortex as much as seeing images with eyes open. So, um, yes, this is what uh, people who no ayahuasca will tell you it's like seeing with your eyes closed. It, it really is like seeing with your eyes closed, at least when it comes to the neurology of it. Um, another interesting thing is that uh, a precise area in the frontal cortex is stimulated by uh, ayahuasca, the area of um, intentional prospective imagination. This is an area that's active when you think about problems and find solutions. And this also confirms what indigenous people have long said, is that this is a plant teacher. You can think about problems and find solutions. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, for the moment, there have been no studies of vine-only ayahuasca, so more research is needed, and that's probably an underlying theme of uh, what I'm saying here, too, is that there's so much that still needs to be learned. And even if we consider that uh, ayahuasca science started with Laurent Rivier and his colleague in 1972, it really didn't get going until 15 or 20 years ago. So ayahuasca science is young, and there's so much that uh, still needs to be looked into. Uh, well, beyond the uh, brain uh, imagery studies, what has been uh, determined by scientific research is that uh, there is considerable therapeutic potential uh, for ayahuasca, the, the true Amazonian mixture, in terms of treating depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and uh, addictions. Um, <clears throat> The clinical trials that have been run with DMT-containing ayahuasca have shown it to be uh, uh, relatively safe, uh, no known physiological uh, toxicity. This says nothing about, let's call it street ayahuasca. Once again, if uh, you are proposed outside of a laboratory ayahuasca, you don't know what it contains. It can contain all kinds of things. Um, there have been deaths reported with ayahuasca. Uh, in all cases, it would seem that other substances uh, were responsible. Um, nicotine, in particular. Uh, in the Amazon, um, practitioners will add nicotine. And for people in the, this is one of the things with nicotine, is that if you have never taken any, then you will be very uh, uh, sensitive to it. And uh, nicotine can kill you. Uh, if you could extract the nicotine contained in a couple of cigarettes and concentrate it into a pure drop, uh, that would be enough to kill a person. What happens with cigarettes is that when you, you combust it, most of it goes up in smoke, fortunately. Um, so uh, Westerners who have no experience with nicotine 
drink an ayahuasca that has a considerable amount of nicotine in it, and this can be very dangerous. In almost all of the cases that have been reported of ayahuasca deaths, there were no forensic uh, analyses, so it's difficult to have any kind of certitude. And it should be said that uh, for the moment there have been no cases of death in uh, uh, laboratories where people work with ayahuasca. Um, scientifically sanctioned ayahuasca being this combination of the vine with leaves from the Psychotria viridis plant containing uh, DMT um, uh, has had its lethal dose determined as being 20 times the effective dose. Uh, this compares to alcohol, where the lethal dose can be 10 times the effective dose. Well, um, let's just look at the ayahuasca first. Um, uh, 20, 20 times the effective dose, if you go by the uh, usual... Um, uh, quantities that are served out as a dose, this would be equivalent to two liters of ayahuasca. Well, I think that drinking two liters of ayahuasca would be a nearly impossible task. Uh, it's a very nauseating liquid. If you put that much ayahuasca in your stomach, it would be highly unlikely that you'd be able to keep it down, and, and even that anybody would, would want to do that. Um, I think it's a lot easier to, to drink 10 glasses of wine than two liters of um, ayahuasca. Um, <clears throat> so in any case, it's uh, relatively safe. It's, it's actually quite surprising that way. I'm talking physiologically. It's something that can be very powerful, completely overpower you and precipitate you into uh, other realms. And at the same time, it leaves your body functioning and it doesn't kill you. You may think that you're dying, but in fact you don't die. Um, it turns out that uh, recent science indicates that uh, if we're talking DMT, uh, that small doses of DMT um, protect tissues, uh, enhance the uh, immune system, and generate new neurons. So uh, a little bit of DMT um, can also be health-enhancing. Like other hallucinogens, um, ayahuasca is not addictive. In fact, it's considered to be anti-addictive. And uh, it helps people get a hold, get on top of their addictions, notably with alcohol, opiates, and uh, even tobacco. There are several possible explanations for this. And uh, once again, I think it's important to emphasize that we're at the beginning of understanding how these things uh, work. Um, one possible explanation is that the harmine and harmaline uh, of the vine that's in the brew um, uh, release dopamine in the reward pathways of the brain. And at the same time, the DMT binds to serotonin receptors, which end up inhibiting the production of dopamine in these same pathways. And so what is perhaps happening here is that the ayahuasca both increases and decreases the level of dopamine in this key reward pathway, and uh, this leads to a rebalancing of uh, the reward pathway, which leads to less craving and so on. That's one possible explanation. Um, uh, if you're interested in the details of any of these things, the references to all of the things I'm talking about are in the book that I mentioned at the beginning of this talk. Um, another possible explanation for the anti-addictive nature of um, uh, ayahuasca is that the DMT and the three harmala alkaloids, harmine, harmaline, tetrahydroharmine, all promote the creation of new neurons, at least in a laboratory setting with, with cells. And so it is possible that uh, ayahuasca helps rewire uh, the uh, connections in the 
reward center, creating new neural networks and uh, uh, bypassing, as it were, um, behaviors, addictive behaviors that have been inscribed in precise neural networks. Um, there's also preliminary research that indicates that ayahuasca enhances cognition, helps people learn, uh, allows people to have a better memory. In fact, for the moment, this research has been conducted on rats. So um, there's probably more research needed. But once again, this seems like a pretty clear connection between uh, indigenous people saying, this plant mixture teaches. Science is discovering that this plant teacher enhances cognition. It's just a different way of saying something uh, similar. Um, <clears throat> And then there is this, um, I think it's pretty exciting, this exciting uh, development that's coming out of Brazil um, where they have ad advanced scientific laboratories and they also have practicing indigenous shamans and people who have a culture of taking ayahuasca. And so they're, they're doing advanced uh, research in Brazilian labs on ayahuasca, the real, uh, the real thing, not the, the sort of uh, alcopop version. Um, and uh, there is now, there are now studies that show that a single dose of ayahuasca um, improves, uh, uh, notably improves the symptoms of chronically depressed people. 80% of the people report considerable improvement to their depression for at least six months. Now, this leaves uh, pharmaceutical antidepressants in the dust. Uh, because antidepressants are, are these things that you take on a daily basis. Um, and actually, one of the problems that is confronting the, uh, the researchers and the indigenous people involved in this research in Brazil is that, so how do we take this to market? I mean, the, the, the market for depression, we're talking billions of dollars every year, and that's when it's going to get uh, complicated. But anyway, the, uh, the results are there. Um, once again, there is no clear explanation as to just why this should be so. And one possibility is that uh, ayahuasca increases blood flow to parts of the brain that may be involved in uh, uh, depressed uh, symptoms. So, well, one of the reasons why I like science is that it leads to um, clarity. So. When science gets involved and it takes uh, something seriously or tries to, it then says, okay, well, there are contraindications. Um, so the contraindications of um, ayahuasca are pretty clear, uh, not for people suffering with psychosis or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or taking pharmaceutical drugs or amphetamines or sleeping pills. Um, antidepressants, um, voila, and it's not for uh, pregnant women either. So it's good to know. Um, and actually, this is something, this, so uh, uh, scientists can learn from shamans. Well, shamans can learn from scientists. And I think that the uh, practicing ayahuasqueros in um, Peru would gain from telling their clientele about the contraindications. So there, there can be real synergies on these subjects. Um, <clears throat> then there is um, the trouble that you can take perfectly healthy people and give them well-prepared ayahuasca and administer it to them in, 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 in caring circumstances. And some people, not, not a majority by any means, but a small minority, will come out of the experience distressed, discombobulated, uh, their world turned upside down and no clear way of getting back to simple baseline. And um, this is called uh, transitory uh, psychosis. Um, <clears throat> transitory psychotic crisis, that's it. Um, well, it doesn't happen often, but it happens regularly. And it's um, an understudied phenomenon. This is something, it's, it's kind of hard to study. 
because uh, most of the time it doesn't happen. It happens left, right, and center. Often people don't come running and talk about it. Um, but it is uh, a trouble. And I think it's linked to what anthropologist Luis Eduardo Luna said. He said, the greatest danger of ayahuasca is ego inflation. So it's interesting with these hallucinogens, they, they create ego dissolution, as we saw in uh, Peter's talk uh, that started off the day. Their ego dissolution is one thing, but it can also lead to uh, ego inflation, and people can get into messianic uh, states of mind or abusive states of mind, and this is one of the things that uh, crops up regularly uh, on the ayahuasca circuit is because what all of these hallucinogens do, but ayahuasca is certainly in there, it takes your defenses down. Um, and this is also part of its uh, transformational potential. And, and David Dupuis will talk about the double-edged sword of these, uh, of these substances. So it takes your defenses down. It increases your suggestibility. That's why they are so or can be so transformational but they also put people in a very vulnerable uh, mind space. And uh, unscrupulous uh, practitioners abuse this. And uh, oftentimes we're talking sexual abuse. And I've never heard of a single case of sexual abuse with ayahuasca where it has been a woman abusing a man. All the cases that have been reported uh, and many have not been reported, but all the cases that have been reported involve male ayahuasqueros abusing female clients. And I'll talk about the Icaros in, in just a moment. So these are the songs that the practitioners sing. And um, to enchant means to sing on. And these practitioners are professional enchanters. They have beautiful voices. They work the, with the ayahuasca to learn the melodies. And so you go to them because you want to be enchanted. The problem is that it works. And so um, this can, here, you, you can imagine your defenses are down, uh, you're completely suggestible, and here's this fellow uh, singing on you and enchanting you, and it opens the doors to all kinds of uh, abuse. And as uh, Peter was saying in, in his talk, if you are going to be somebody who administers powerful hallucinogens to people, uh, there must be a very strong uh, ethical code. And I think that, uh, yes, this needs um, saying and, and repeating uh, over and over again. Um, <clears throat> so my co-author, Rafael Chanchari, uh, makes some important points. And one is that people who work with these substances um, have to learn the difference between what is uh, a true vision and what is their own projection. Now, it's true that this is also a major difference that probably needs putting on the table, that indigenous Amazonian know-how about how to work with ayahuasca means that the doctor also drinks the remedy. Uh, now, we heard in, in Peter's talk that um, he not in Switzerland, when you are the doctor and you administer the LSD, you don't take the uh, LSD. And so th this is clearly a, another school, and, uh, and we might talk about it later uh, on the panel. And I'm not saying that all the doctors and psychiatrists in Switzerland have to do what the shamans in the Amazon do, but I do think it's interesting to compare and contrast the, the two. I think that uh, the Amazonian point of view is that by taking, um, albeit a small dose, it allows the practitioner who's leading the session to get into the mind space. The, the whole point of the, the songs, um, they say these are songs of drunkenness. They can only be understood in, in that particular state. And so the practitioner has to be in that state to be able to accompany people in that state. Um, and. That being the case, the practitioner, according to Rafael Chanchari, has to learn to distinguish between what is real vision and what is projection. So how do you learn to distinguish that? Well, it takes a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of practice, and a lot of dieting, 
refraining from certain foods, refraining from sexual relations, actually learning to master the ayahuasca realm takes 30 years and a, a lot of sacrifice. So it's not, um, not everybody's cup of tea. I think it's probably easier to become a psychiatrist than to become a... Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get... Um, um, <clears throat> uh, I was pleased to hear uh, so far that what has been discussed that, uh, yes, uh, the, the dark side of these substances need uh, recognizing if we're going to learn to work with them. In, in the indigenous Amazonia, everybody's clear about that, that uh, these shamans, they, they, they go into these realms, they get knowledge, and they come back, and their knowledge is useful, but it can also be used both ways. Uh, there's a fundamental ambiguity there. So we, we want to have a shaman, but you also have to keep an eye on the shaman. And so... Um, the, the ambiguity of the uh, profession is clear for, for everybody. And I think that's, that's what allows a kind of communal control uh, or oversight. Uh, I mean, you know, astronauts need Houston. And Houston is the greater community. That's also, I think, probably one of the differences. The world that we live in here is hyper-individuated. So we're just many different individuals. In indigenous Amazonia... You have the community and the shaman, and the community is actually, classically, Alfred Metro, who was a Swiss-French anthropologist who lived here in Lausanne, came up with probably the easiest and clearest definition of what is a shaman. A shaman is a person who, by profession and in the name of the community, entertains an intermittent commerce with the spirits of nature. Okay? By profession. In the name of the community. It's part of the definition. Um, here... Um, yeah, well, the, the community, well, what community? So if you have, uh, at least the Amazonian perspective would be, uh, if there is a practitioner leading people into these realms and working with these realms, uh, uh, yeah, you need an ethic committee uh, somewhere. can't just be a bunch of individuals, because then it opens the door to, well, um, abuse of power. Um, well... I'll talk about the... So how are we doing on time here? Oops, my time's up. Yikes. Okay, the purge. Um, in Peru, they call ayahuasca la purga. It means the purge. This is what people value it for. We're in the rainforest. There are a lot of intestinal parasites. Ayahuasca does get rid of intestinal parasites. Science has confirmed this. Uh, I think harmine is the uh, anti-parasitic uh, molecule. Um, but it's also that it cleans you out. Like the Ashaninka people I lived with, they call ayahuasca kamarampi. It it, from the verb kamarank, it means to vomit. So the, uh, the sacred medicine is called the vomitive. People say, let's have some vomitive tonight, shall we? And oh yeah, that's a good idea. That'll clean us out. I mean, that's... That's the, the, the number one motivation. Meanwhile, you look at uh, scientific studies, recent scientific studies, and you read the small print where it says the conditions. They say, they say, well, we worked with a standardized batch of ayahuasca, and the only adverse effects to report was vomiting. Um, so far, and it's true, if you're in a clinic, and if you're putting people in an fMRI machine, you do not want them to be vomiting. So one can understand that this is viewed as a side effect, but actually, it's the main effect. And, and this gets us to the word psychedelic, which is, I actually, I like the word psychedelic. Uh, Humphrey Osman was right to, to coin the word revealer of psyche in Greek. And perhaps this is one of the most appropriate words for, for LSD, but frankly, with ayahuasca, I think that considering ayahuasca as a psychedelic and just a psychedelic, it's a mistake. Ayahuasca is a liquid that you pour down your gullet, that goes into your stomach, that gives you nausea, that makes you purge from both ends. It's, it's a fundamentally bodily experience before seeing any images. Uh, Reducing ayahuasca to a psychedelic is getting rid of the body. Um, it's, it's one more of these Western uh, uh, magic tricks where body and mind are separated, even though they, in fact, in reality, they aren't separated. There's neurons all over the body. But we're going to create these sort of artificial constructs, mind and body, and then we just get rid of the body. 
and call it a psychedelic. Um, uh, Well, okay, I'll try to wrap up quickly here. Um, Yeah, Uh, well, they're starting to study uh, la dieta, the purge. Western people report that it gets rid of not just toxins, but also psychic garbage, and that there actually is a value in um, purging. Um, Taking the knowledge of indigenous people seriously. Um, well, I think this is, would call for a, a new kind of science, uh, a kind of science um, that doesn't seek to prove or disprove or, or believe or not believe what indigenous people say, but to recognize its difference and perhaps maybe just to look at uh, how it impacts on our way of looking at things. It's not a question of theology or believing that the song is going to work or that the diet is going to work. Actually, singing certain melodies to people in ayahuasca consciousness or getting them to prepare their bodies and minds before going into it by refraining from certain foods, um, this has more to do with the practicalities of being in the world than it does with superstition and uh, religion. And so um, I think a true dialogue between uh, science and indigenous uh, expertise would mean setting the agenda together. And this takes time, it can be complicated. I'll just give you one example. Uh, Recently, they've started doing this in Brazil, brain neuroscientists working with uh, indigenous ayahuasqueros in the rainforest with uh, electroencephalogram and batteries and everything to... um, And the the Huniquin people say, why are you interested in the brain? It's the only part that when we hunt animals, we don't eat. It's like, it's the only uninteresting part. So, um, it, uh, I think that the indigenous experts need to explain the diet, need to explain the ikaro, need to walk the Western experts through all kinds of things, and the Western experts have to take the time to walk the indigenous people through their thing. And so, yes, working together is complicated, and it's going to take time. It'll be like Swiss politics. Just to get everybody to kind of agree, it just takes a lot of time. Um, and so, yeah, to wrap up, I think that ayahuasca is a true pharmacon. It's both a medicine and a poison. This is a, the Greek concept. Uh, it can teach you things. It can clean you. It can also discombobulate you. It's a powerful uh, mixture. And uh, to, if you're going to uh, work with it, uh, you need knowledge. And the more knowledge, the better. So scientific knowledge... Uh, indigenous shamanic knowledge uh, can be combined uh, and uh, to work with powerful plants like ayahuasca. That's what you need is uh, knowledge and uh, respect and prudence. So I'll stop on prudence. Thank you. (laughs) 